0: Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach. And with me, as always, is Pastor Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jordan. Did you have a good Labor Day? I did. Did you? Ah, we did. We played football, so it was fun. Awesome. We had a good time. Yeah. Yeah, we went to see Cumberland Falls for the first time. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yep, the uh, Lord of the Rings nerd in me came out. It reminded (laughs) me of a scene from the movies, and if you've seen the movies, you know the scene in the Fellowship of the Ring where they go uh, to the falls, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, then just skip this part. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm excited to be here today, and we'll just dive right into James 1. So this is James 1, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So I've read that some of James's instructions in his letter here are meant to quell zealot impulses, zealot sympathies, that kind of thing. So for instance, here he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, you could read that to be zealotry and violence in the name of God won't bring about the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. What do you think about that interpretation? I think that's a great interpretation, and I think that James is trying to
1: encourage the, the brothers and sisters to humble themselves. And I think that uh, this is something that James not only speaks to, but he also models. So we consider the Jerusalem Council, which was the first big... Widespread disagreement among the apostles and the elders as to what do we do with all these Gentiles who are coming to faith. There was a faction that said, well, if you're going to be a part of the family of God, God has given us a a sign, a marking in the flesh to illustrate that we are part of God's family, and that sign is circumcision. So for Gentiles who are not circumcised to come to Christ, they must be circumcised so that they can have that marking in their flesh. And, And there was a big disagreement because there was a faction that said, yes, they must be circumcised, and there was a faction that said, no, they don't need to be circumcised. And so they have this big council at the church at Jerusalem. And then this is the account that Luke gives us. This is from Acts chapter 15, and it begins with verse 13. After they had finished speaking, so after Peter had spoken, after Paul and Barnabas had spoken, after they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. And then James continues, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues." And so what's very interesting is James is modeling what he writes to us in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. He lets them speak, and in order to let them speak, you have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and you have to humble yourself. You have to say, okay, we're going to hear you out. We're going to hear what you have to say. What is your perspective? And then, having fully heard them, in other words, the Bible says, after they had finished speaking, that's when James spoke up. So, so he listened. He listened intently. He listened patiently. He listened humbly. And then he turned to Scripture. And using Scripture, he gave his judgment on the matter. And that's a perfect model for us. So again, James is humbling himself to listen, humbling himself to seek to understand, and then turning to God's Word to say, what does God tell us about this? And so that's a perfect model for those Christians 2,000 years ago, but it's a perfect model for us today as
0: well. So... Political and religious factionalism were big in the first century in that time, and they're big still today, even in the body of Christ. So how do we today take James's advice and follow his example and listen to fellow disciples who are disciples of Jesus but do think differently than we do on some things?
1: Yeah, it's really easy, I think, for us to expect everyone to think as we do on all things. And we kind of use that as a test of fellowship. And I don't think that's what God intends for us to do. When I first came to First Baptist Church, it was 2016, right in the middle of a very deeply heated and contested presidential election. And we had to navigate people who came from all sorts of different perspectives. You know, The world would try to tell you, oh, it's you're either this or you're this. And, and there are so many shades of gray and so many people who look at various issues and they look at them from different angles. And I think the first thing we have to do is love one another. That's what Jesus said. The world will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And one of the ways that we can love one another is by humbling ourselves to listen to one another. Um, So often, we scream without giving those that we consider our opponents the opportunity to speak. And so we have to be the kind of people that says, you know, if Jordan, if you and I disagree on something, then I'm going to defer to the fact that, Jordan, you're my brother in Christ. I love you. God has us together. We're going to, we're going to be together forevermore. Um, and I'm very thankful for you. And I want to value you as a human being enough to humble myself and listen honestly for your perspective. In other words, I don't want to listen just looking for my rebuttal. I want to actually know, where are you coming from? Where are you seeing this? And so even when we get to theological matters, we we want to humble ourselves to say, you know, my interpretation of Scripture is, is not infallible. The Word of God is inerrant and infallible. My interpretation, because I am a sin-fallen human being, is absolutely fallible, so I may be reading this wrong, or I may not be considering the entire canon of Scripture because that's what we have to do when we consider individual issues. What does the whole Bible say about this? And frankly, what has 2,000 years of church history taught us insofar as some of the, the smartest theologians in the world have weighed in on these issues? What do they have to say? So, So I think we start with love, we then continue with listening, we humble ourselves but then there's there's also a point where you got to draw a line you know many years ago theologian albert muller came up with what he referred to as theological triage if we're having a, a debate about a certain theological issue is it a first order issue a second order issue or a third order issue so like when you go into the hospital you know if you go in with chest pain you're getting back into the er a lot quicker than if you go in with a tummy ache so that's that's where this idea of triage was coming from. A first order issue is an issue that y- you can't be a Christian if if you don't uh, subscribe to this issue. So things like the doctrine of the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, the authority of Scripture, belief in justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, you know, if we disagree on that, that's that's huge. That you know, these are the basic tenets of the Christian faith. Um, but then there are second order issues. And second-order issues are issues that we we're going to be in we're going to be in heaven together. And when we get to heaven, one of us is going to find out that we interpreted it wrong. Um, but a second-order issue is big enough that that often whole denominations are formed based on this. So, for example, we're Baptists and we baptize by immersion. Uh, we we immerse believers in water in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and uh, and our denomination's name gives evidence for that. Well, I grew up Presbyterian, and I have many Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Christ whom I love very much, and they baptize differently. Uh, I was sprinkled as a little boy. I've been immersed as an adult because my conviction is that the weight of Scripture is that baptism is of believers by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those sorts of things but we're going to be in heaven together one day. <laughs> and so we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, church is going to look different because baptism is going to look different. And that's one one of several issues, but um so a second order issue is, would would be an issue that divides denominations, but we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And then a third order issue would be something like what happens at the end of time. You know, you and I might certainly agree that Jesus will return. I think that's a first-order issue, that Jesus is going to come back. But what does that look like, and what is the timing? Uh, is it premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial? If it's premillennial, is it, is it pre-tribulational, mid-tribulational, or post-tribulational? You know, we can disagree on those things and know. And I always like to say um, that if one day I'm soaring through the air in a pre-tribulational rapture, uh, I'll look at my friends and say, you were right <laughs> and so um, those are things but again there's this there's this sense where I'm not God you're not God God is God he has spoken through his word but I'm going to humble myself to say my interpretation may be flawed and so um, I think there's a degree of humility that we have to um, we have to
0: use as we approach one another well and it makes me think to the acts 15 council and Acts 15, like you were talking about. I mean, there there was a very real question that didn't seem to have been resolved by that point. Like, did Gentiles need to convert and become Jews to be saved? You know, there are so few righteous Gentiles that we see examples of in the Old Testament that you could easily draw the conclusion that Gentiles did need to become literally part of the community of Israel Mm -hmm. via circumcision or via conversion. Right. So you did need to have this council where people came together and heard each other and heard the scriptures and came to a conclusion, and then move forward with it.
1: That's right. And, and I love that James gives us the perfect example of what he writes to us in his letter. He let them speak first. He was quick to hear, slow to speak. He didn't become angry. And um, he used God's
0: Word to formulate his response. And I think that's a great example of how we ought to do it as well. So on Sunday, you also brought up Matthew twelve thirty six 36-37, where Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. So how should we interpret this saying?
1: That's that's a great question because at face value we may say what words have I said? Right. Uh, and what words might I say that will disqualify me from heaven? And, and in context Jesus is talking about how our words reveal the condition of our heart. So so out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And so often uh, if we'll just pause and look at our own lives, and and maybe we've said things in the past. I mean, I can go back and remember words that have come out of my mouth that uh, they just make me shudder over the years. And and it, the things you 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 well up in anger. I, I've told my wife there have been a few times over the years where I have given vent to my anger, and I remember every instance, and I regretted it as soon as I said it. I wish I just I wish I hadn't said it. Um, So Jesus is talking about how our words are the overflow of our hearts, and these careless words indicate a hardness of heart that is indicative of our posture toward God. So if I have a soft heart for the gospel, and I have a soft heart, a heart that's been softened by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by surrendering my life to Christ, then that's going to, over time— increasingly illustrate itself in the words that are coming out of my mouth. So it's not as much that Jesus is saying, oh, here's a phrase where if you say it, you're done. Um, but it's more Jesus indicating that the things that come out of my mouth are the product of what's going on in my heart. So, you know, in context, Jesus is saying it's not the things that you take into your body that defile you. It's, it's what's coming out of you that is... Indicating how defiled you are, and and so I would say, it's not just a certain set of phrases, um, but if my heart is without God, then I'm going to be hardened to the gospel. I'm going to be hardened to the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And that's the question. Oh, what's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What what is the thing that I have to say or do that will never be forgiven? And I think contextually, uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is fully and finally hardening my heart against the work of the Holy Spirit, who magnifies Christ and convicts me of sin and calls me to come to Christ in repentance and faith. The Holy Spirit takes the gospel and applies it to me and says, you must respond. And if I fully and finally harden my heart against that work of the Holy Spirit, I am blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and I am hardening my heart against the work of God's grace in my life. So, that's, I think, what what Jesus is getting at, and so I think the question is, as we examine ourselves based on a passage like this, and I think the call is to examine ourselves. We examine not necessarily, oh my goodness, what words have I said? Um, I know my phone probably has a log of everything I've said since I've had this phone, but it's 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 less about that, and it's more about what is the condition of my heart, and. You know, many years ago, I heard somebody use the um, analogy of a tube of toothpaste. You know, when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what's inside comes out. Mm-hmm. And and the thing <laughs> the thing about it is you can't get it back in. You know, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. There was a moment in which really social media became our chief way of interacting with one another. And how many people did deep relational damage by things that they put on social media – in a huff, they 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 were they were ranting. They were you know, and they I mean I can list so many examples. I won't, <laughs> but I could list so many examples of people who put something out there, and some period of time later they took it down. But the problem is they'd already put it out there. Yeah, people had screenshot it. People had shared it, and whether they were a celebrity or a neighbor, in some cases they don't even know the relational damage they did. You know, when you make sweeping generalizations about people, let's say, you know, in terms of COVID, everybody who wears a mask is this or everybody who doesn't wear a mask is this. Well, you don't even know who you're offending. You don't even know who you're indicting in that moment. Yeah. And, and so I think we've got to be careful. We've got to humble ourselves and, and just really say, okay, Lord, I want to be quick to hear and slow to speak uh, and slow to anger in this instance because my anger is not going to produce the righteousness of God.
0: And that's a perfect segue into our listener-submitted question for today. So listeners, remember, you can submit a question to us that we can answer here on the podcast. Just go to our description or show notes and click the link in the description or show notes, and there will be a form there for you to fill out with your question. So the question for today is, Jeff, what do you think about detoxing from the news and social media? I like staying up to date, but I always feel down after catching up. Well, what a great
1: question and what a timely question, and I think that— a couple things. One, it's important for Christians to be aware of what's going on in the world. I think that, that our Lord never calls us to bury our heads in the sand and, and just totally ignore what's going on around us. We are called to be salt and light in a world. We are, we are called to be um, that light which, which illustrates to the world the good deeds of our Father who art in heaven. Um, and in order to do that, we need to have some sense of what's going on around us. I'll tell you what I like to do. I like to practice fasting in this area because it is easy for me to get carried away. I heard somebody say one time, and I'm no psychologist, but it was a psychologist who said this on a podcast that I was listening to, and if I could remember the woman's name, I would share it, and I can't. Um, she said, you know, God designed us to live within a community, a village, if you will, and we were designed with the capacity— To care deeply about what goes on within the context of that community, within the context of our village. The problem is that modern technology, as great as it is, has made the world our village. And we don't have the capacity to care deeply about everything that's going on in the world because there's always something that is earth-shaking going on in some corner of the world. And our newsfeed tells us about it all. And so there's this sense in which we are not designed with the capacity to care deeply about worldwide events in the same way that we care about events that happen close to us. So for example, when the tornadoes hit Bowling Green, I mean, that that rattled all of us to our core and it, it's put us all to work and, and had us all spring to action. And we're, we're actually driving around and seeing the wreckage and all those sorts of things. Well- That hits differently because it's here, and thankfully, there were people who came here from outlying areas, and and regionally, they came and served, and and that's wonderful, and that's all part of God's plan, but I don't have the capacity to allow every single thing that happens all the way around the globe to fundamentally reorient my life at that level. Again, it doesn't mean I don't care about it. It doesn't mean I don't pray for folks. It doesn't mean any of those things. It's not a hard-heartedness. Uh, but it's a recognition that I am limited, and so what I like to do is occasionally I will just lay it aside for a period of time. I'll, I'll intentionally not go to those places that are sources of news for me, whether that's a channel or whether that's a news feed or whether, you know whatever the case may be. And I'll instead devote that time to prayer. You know, Psalm forty-six, ten says, "Be still and know that I am God." I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That is God saying that in the end, he will reign, and he reigns now. And God is able to do all things, and I am so remarkably limited in what I am able to do. And he says, be still and know that I am God. So I think there are seasons where it's important that we step away intentionally fasting and what do we do when we fast? If I'm not partaking of whatever this thing may be, I'm in prayer, and I'm, I'm surrendering yet again to God. Um, and so I think that that's a very helpful practice. So two parts. I think Christians should definitely be aware of what's going on, certainly in our local village, but also in the world around us. But I think we should also have times where we fast those things intentionally to devote ourselves to prayer, understanding that God is God and I am not. That's very insightful. Thank you. Yeah. Jordan, thank you again. And I want to say a word. Elliot Beckley is over here. He is the silent partner in this podcast, but he's making sure we sound good. And so, Elliot, thank you for, um, for being a part of this uh, podcast in a, in a remarkably integral way. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we do pray that we would not be hard-hearted, but that our hearts would be soft to your work in us. We pray that you would help us to love one another. Disagreements are gonna come. Disagreements come within the context of our families. Disagreements come within the context of our households where we disagree with one another all the time. And it seems like the closer we are, the more we do disagree. But help us to do that with a spirit of humility, coming from a place of love, and to fully hear somebody out, to, to try to seek to understand their perspective fully. And while we still certainly may disagree with that perspective, that we would take the time and give the care to hear that perspective out. And then, Lord, just as James did, that we would go to your word and say, God, teach us through your word and by your spirit how we should go in this matter. Lord, we love you. We trust you. And we thank you so much for all the many ways that you bless us every single day. We ask these things trusting you in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel and submit a question to the link in our show notes. For even more First Baptist content, visit firstbaptistbg.org.